You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Indeed, and the life of the Jewish people is, of course, Torah. Torah is our blueprint, and this is what we have been living by for so many thousands of years. And so welcome to Soul to Soul, where we are learning Torah, which is called Torah Chayim, the Torah of life. From here we derive how to live life, how to act, how to be, and we basically get an answer for almost every question we have in the world. So welcome, and uh, I'm glad you're here to join with me for the next hour, uh, learning some Torah. And of course, as always on my show, we are learning from the book of Tehillim, the book of Psalms. And uh, today I'm going to be very challenged because we're on chapter 117 um, of Tehillim. And this Tehillim, as we know, is part of the series of six chapters of Tehillim uh, that we call cumulatively the Hallel, um, the songs of praise. And uh, the reason why I am challenged today, and I actually told my controller before we came on air, this chapter has exactly two lines to it. <laughs> so I've got to give you an hour show on two lines, but I'm going to try to do my best. And uh, perhaps maybe at the end, um, we can listen to a little more Jewish music that soothes the soul as we had just, has just listened to. We just listened to Yonatan Razal with Katonti, that I'm humbled before Hashem with everything that I do. So chapter 117 is the shortest chapter in the whole book of scripture. In fact, not only of Tehillim, but in the whole book of scripture. Um, Here's, here, here, here is a, a trivial question, and let's see who can answer through um, SMS or WhatsApp. What is the longest chapter of Tehillim? And as a bonus, what is the longest Pasha in the Torah, and by how much? Let's see who's on the ball today. You are able to uh, WhatsApp us on 062-148-2374 or send an SMS on 34519. So here's the question. I'm going to be teaching you the shortest uh, Tehillim, the shortest chapter of only two verses. It's the shortest chapter in the whole of Scripture. What is the longest chapter of Tehillim? That's part A. What is the longest Parsha in the Torah? Part B. Um, and how long are these chapters or Parsha Yot? Uh, again, 34519 is the on-air SMS and 0621482374 is the WhatsApp. Okay, going back to chapter 117, um, Radak, one of the famous commentators, explains that the brevity um, of these two verses is because these verses are talking about the end of days. We know that as Jews, we believe in a Messiah. We believe in Mashiach coming, Mashiach being a man, a prince of God, who is a descendant of our author that we are learning from, King David himself. And he is a... He is a descendant of King David, and our messianic vision is that it is a world of peace, that it is a world of harmony, it is a world where everything good comes together again, and all peoples, Jew and non-Jew alike, come to serve God um, as one. And so the Radak explains that the brevity of chapter 117 symbolizes um, the fact that there's going to be a simplicity in the world. There's going to be a world order that is pretty simple. And 
He explains further that this simplicity comes from the fact that if we look today, we have a lot of divisiveness, we have a a lot of diversity, we have a lot of disparity in the world. There's countless groups and everybody is divided by differences in, in religion, in politics, in economics, in race, in nationality. But in the time of Mashiach, um, we are going to see that there are going to be just two groups. Who are those two groups? Well, the first group will be the children of Israel, the Jews who will n- now scrupulously follow all 613 mitzvot of the Torah. Um, and um, everybody will be aligned that way. And then the second group will be the remainder of mankind, will be everybody else, and they will be faithfully fulfilling the Torah's seven Noahide laws. So we're basically just going to see two divisions, the Jews keeping the 613 mitzvot of the Torah and the non-Jews who are going to be keeping the seven mitzvot b'nei Noach. And everybody... But everybody will be serving just one God. So while today we are seeing a lot of diversity and disparity um, in religion, in particular in politics and economics and race and nationality, all of these, uh, I guess, uh, um, things that we tag people as, you know, we, we identify people. Um, that's all going to fall away because the messianic world is actually a simple world. It's a beautiful world. It's a peaceful world. And everybody has come together to serve one God. And that really is the, 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 the Jewish viewpoint, very interestingly different to um, other world viewpoints. Um, we do not subscribe that people have to start believing in other gods or other entities in order to be saved at the time of Mashiach, um, nor do we believe that we need to kill ourselves or kill others um, in the name of cleaning up the world. Our messianic process is very much one where people will come to the realization of their purpose and of their functionality in this world and embrace it. Um, those who don't embrace it, those who don't um, see the functionality of the world will by definition fall away just simply because they will see that they, they, they have missed the boat. So this chapter of Tehillim is simple. It's two lines. The first line um, speaks to the, the, the Gentiles speaks to the non-Jews who will eventually recognize God. And the second verse describes the Jews who have always recognized them. And so it's kind of just sweet to the point. Um, and it is, it is brief because there isn't much room of, of, of negotiation. And I guess, I guess if one really thinks about it, and I'm happy to hear your opinion, on it, um, again, SMS on 34519, or you can WhatsApp on 0621482374. This type of discussion kind of like um, gives a jolt to all of us who are trying to embrace everybody's differences. Um, the Torah is kind of like cleaning, cleaning the slate, like wiping the slate clean and saying there really is going to be just two differences. Those who are obligated to keep 613 mitzvot and those who are going to be obligated in keeping the seven mitzvot of Noah, the standard mitzvot of do not kill and do not steal and to set up courts um, 
judicial courts and not to tear a limb of, 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 um, from, from the leg of an animal, etc. Um, how does that like fit in, in, into your worldview? Or rather, I should actually turn the whole thing around and say, how are you going to take your worldview and change it to the way that Torah actually goes and describes it and sees it? I welcome your comments. And again, let's just see who's listening out there. What is the longest chapter of Tehillim? What is the longest parsha of the Torah and how many verses do they have? Again, SMS is 34519 and WhatsApp is 0621482374. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Indeed you are, and we are going to start studying the first verse of our very long two Sukkim chapter of Tehillim. It reads as follows. Let's actually just read through both verses so we know what we're talking about. Uh, the first verse reads, Hallelujah et Hashem, praise Hashem, call Goim, all you peoples, Shabhuhu, call Haumim, Lord him, all of you nations. And the second verse reads, Kigavar Aleinu Chasdo, for his kindness to us is overwhelming, Ve'emet Hashem, Le'olam, and the truth of Hashem is eternal, Hallelujah. Praised is Hashem. Right, let's go into the verse verse. Hallelujah et Hashem. Praise Hashem. Call Goyim, all you people. Shabachuhu, call Haumim, Lord Him, all you nations. So the very first question that we can ask is, what is the difference between Goyim and Umim? People and nations. They kind of are like synonymous in English. What does Torah teach us about the two different types of people? So we're explained through various commentators, various opinions. The Midrash says Goyim peoples are those people who oppressed Israel. Okay, those who made our lives a misery. And Umim Nations are those who did not oppress Israel. So throughout history, we know that the Jewish people have had their trials and tribulations um, wandering amongst the, the nations of the world. So Goyim, people are those who oppressed us. Umim are those who did not oppress us. And in the future, um, we are told, so continues the Midrash, that the benevolent and friendly nations, the Umim, will ensure that the formerly hostile Goyim people will recognize the truth and they will praise Hashem. We will have both the the, the um, friendly ones and the hostile ones. Both of them will recognize Hashem. And the nations, the Umim will say, if the hostile and cruel people of this world can repent and sing, then Hashem's praises, we certainly can do so as well. And therefore, all the, all the Gentile groups will rally um, around God's banner. So that is the difference between Goyim and Umim. Another commentator called the Chazatzion identifies it differently. He says, Hallelujah, Hashem called Goyim. Um, praises Hashem all those people that the Goyim are actually not anybody, any humans on planet earth, but are rather ministering angels in heaven whom Hashem has appointed as his angels. And these angels are in control of the Umim of the nations of the world down on earth. So the praise, so to speak, becomes much deeper 
much more intense in that it's not only the non-Jewish nations of the world who at the end um, are are uh, the, not not the only ones at the end that are praising God, okay, but the angels that administered them. Now, that's just an interesting idea um, and something that we should we should understand. It says that for every nation of the world, there is an, ad, an administering angel, an angel who takes uh, its um, command from God and then ensures that the nation of the world is doing what it needs to be done. In fact, where do we learn this from? We know very well that when it came to the fight of Jacob, with the angel, we know that Jacob was going back to the land of Israel. He was going back with his wives, his children, and all the wealth he had accumulated in the house of Lavan. And um, on his way home, he was told that he was going to be meeting up with his brother Esau, with Asav, whom he hadn't seen in many, many years, and whom he had fled from many years earlier when Asav sought to kill him because he had stolen, so to speak, the blessings from their father Isaac. And as we know from that story, um, his mother Rivka said, flee, go to my uncle's house, um, Lavan, and stay away from the wrath of your brother. So Yaakov is coming back to Israel many, many years later, and he's about to meet his brother Esav. And he's very, very, very nervous, understandably, because all this time he knows that his brother was looking out to kill him. And so the night before, he separates his camp into two. He does what he can strategically do to try and ensure at least the safety of half of his people. If Asaf goes against one half, um, he will ensure the safety of the other. Um, he prepares gifts. He prepares messengers, etc. But before he meets them that night, he crosses over the Yabuk River. Um, which he had crossed earlier to collect a few items that he had left behind. A very enigmatic and, and very spiritual and very deep story. But as we know, he fights with an angel the entire night until dawn. Um, and he prevails. And at dawn, he says to the angel, bless me. Um, and the angel blesses him at that point in time, changes his name from Yaakov to Yisrael. Um, and we know that many of the commentators say, who was it that he was fighting with? Which administering angel was he fighting with? And it says he was fighting with the administering angel of Asav, of Esau. Um, and once Yaakov prevailed over the administering angel of Asav, when he came to, uh, to meet Asav in person, there certainly was a change of heart, and Asav actually said to Yaakov, you know, let's be friends, let's make up, let us go together and live in peace. Um, and the, the, the story is very deep. It, it, it has very profound lessons to us today of what's happening in the world today with regard to the nation of Esav and who Esav represents, etc., and us, the Jewish people, as we represent Yaakov Yisrael, um, which I'm not going to get into per se, but um, the story just being told in that one of the commentators, the Chazat Zion, identifies the Goyim as the ministering angels in heaven whom God has appointed as his angels to control the nations of the world down here. And, and I'm just giving you one of the... The um, <clears throat> examples 
by giving you the example that Yaakov fought the ministering angel of Asaph first before he actually met Asaph. So hallelujah, Hashem kol goyim, praise be Hashem, praise Hashem, all you people, all you angels who were in charge of Shabahu, kol haomim, all the nations of the world. Another commentator actually picks up the fact that there is the um, the definitive article um, for the nations of the world. It says ha umim the hey the hey is hey the hey ha yedia the definitive uh, the uh, definite article. Whereas goyim they don't say ha goyim they just say goyim. So hallelujah Hashem kol goyim shabachu kol ha umim the hey. And um, this commentator says that this comes to teach us that the Umim, the end, the, nation, the nations of the world, were the powerful, well-known nations, whereas the Goyim were people of the smaller, backward countries that lacked international pro- uh, prominence. And so he brings a a a, um, a a a a difference between those nations that were at the forefront. Of world history, the Greeks, the Romans, uh, the British Empire, those that we know had international prominence, they are called Ha-Umim, the nations. The Goyim were all the smaller, disparate um, countries that really lacked any um, international prominence and anything on the, the, you know, the foreground of, 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 of international interest. Nevertheless, this first verse this first verse goes and speaks to the non-Jews of the world. It speaks to the ministering angels of the non-Jews of the world. It speaks to the non-Jews that were prominent um, nations, those that were smaller nations and that lacked prominence. But the the theme, nevertheless, is very much the same. The theme is that at the end of time, you're going to come and praise Hashem and you're going to laud Him because you, as the nations of the world, despite that you worked against the non-Jewish, against the Jewish world um, for many, many years, for millennia, you too will come and see. Then, at the end of time in the messianic redemption, you will see that uh, you know there was a purpose, there was a place, and now everybody will, in fact, praise Hashem, the one and only God. Verse 2 says as follows, Ki gavar aleinu chazdo, for his kindness to us was overwhelming. Ve'emet Hashem le'olam, and the truth of Hashem is eternal. Hallelujah, praised is Hashem. And we, are, we, we, are, we, we learn that, um, in fact, this verse is talking about the Jewish people. And what will happen to the Jewish people at the end of times? Ki gavar aleinu chazdo, we're going to see that his kindness to us was overwhelming. Now, there's a very, very interesting idea because it says that how can the Jews go and say at the end of time, wow, Hashem, your kindness to us was overwhelming. We could probably um, argue the opposite. What was so overwhelming about the Holocaust? What was so overwhelming about the Spanish Inquisition? What was so kind about the expulsion um, you know, from the various countries, the 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 ghettos, the 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 the, the uh, crusades, the everything that happened to us. How is it that at the end of times we're going to go kigavara leinu chazdo? That Hashem's kindness to us was overwhelming. 
So the rabbis teach it um, from the viewpoint of the martyrs um, of the Jewish people. Um, we know that throughout history, we have had people who have clung to their faith and who have been very, very steadfast in their Judaism. And they have died either by the sword, by the cross, um, by the, 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 you know, in the extermination camp, et cetera, et cetera. They have died willingly, knowingly, um, um, in defense, um, and, um, in, 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 in telling the world that they are dying because they, you know, because of the faith of Judaism. And it says that, you know, you could probably look at all of these, particularly when I'm talking about this, the, the 10 martyrs that we speak about on Yom Kippur. Um, the 10, um, great sages of the Gomorrah, one of them, one of the greatest being Rabbi Akiva, they were tortured, tortured to death, um, for being Jews. How, how, how is it that they can go, ki gavaraleinu your kindness of, for us was overwhelming. So the rabbis go and explain that when these holy souls of the martyrs ascend to ever, to heaven, Hashem will shower them with such incredible spiritual bliss that they would, will immediately forget their physical sufferings that they endured at the hands of the Goyim. And therefore, they will say, Hashem, your kindness to us has been overwhelming, meaning your anger is forgotten. We don't demand revenge for the torture and suffering you've inflicted upon us. We actually see all of this for the good that it will attain and has attained, and we'll, we will see that all in the time and the arrival of Mashiach. A very, very powerful lesson, a, a question that really needs to be dissected. Many times when we find ourselves in spaces of negativity, spaces of challenges and obst- obstacles, uh, obstacles and pain, um, one of the fundamental things, and we've spoken about this many times on the show, one of the most fundamental things is that a Jew should know that Hashem is kind and everything he does is for the good. We don't see it right now. Sometimes we don't see it even after. Maybe sometimes we have, we see it in 2020 hindsight. Maybe sometimes we will only understand it, um, after 120 years. On, on earth, but we do not have a vengeful, horrible God that is out to get us in a horrible way. Hashem is kind, and even those who have suffered tremendously, um, like the, the, the martyrs that have given up their lives for the sake of God, they too will be able to say at the end of time, that the kindness that Hashem gave to us was in fact, um, Overwhelming. And one of the rabbis, uh, one of the commentators observes that we will, the, the children of Israel will merit overwhelming kindness because of the extraordinary service which we rendered to God. And all the Gentiles are destined to then be part of the messianic redemption and, and, and be part of, 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 of the vision that B'nai Israel has together, and they will pra- praise God for the opportunity to make amends to their original cruelty to to Israel and to the Jewish people. Um, there was a there's a story about a rabbi called Rav Yitzchok. He was called Reb Itzala of Volozhin, of a city in Russia. Once a Russian uh, prince came to Reb Yitzala. Um, 
and he asked Rav Yitzchak, Rav to explain why the non-Jews instead of the Jews are expected to praise God for his kindness to Israel. Because if you read this verse um, in one shot, shot, it reads, praise Hashem, all you people, Lord of all you nations for his kindness to us is overwhelming and the truth of Hashem is eternal. So on one level, you could actually read it that this verse is talking to the non-Jews altogether and that they, the non-Jews, instead of the Jews, are expected to praise God for his kindness to Israel. So Rav Yitzhak replied without hesitation. He says, we know that the princes of the non-Jews plan countless anti-Semitic schemes, which are, are there to destroy us. And our merciful God has always managed to foil your plots. And your secret counsels are so well guarded that many times we Jews don't even realize all the ways in which you intended to harm us, nor how God saved us. Only you, the non-Jewish world, will see clearly how God's kindness to us was overwhelming. And therefore, only you can praise Hashem adequately. So if we are to read if we are to read it as one long, um, like the two verses, as one coming after the other and speaking to the non-Jews, then we can answer uh, the question as to why the non-Jew is um, is going to praise God for the kindnesses. Because really, how many times um, do we find out early afterwards, post de facto, of how um, they tried to destroy us and Hashem saved us? You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Indeed you are, and I'm still waiting to see who's listening out there. Um, I'm asking three questions, um, all related. What is the longest parsha in the Torah? What is the longest capital chapter of Tehillim in the book of Tehillim? And how many verses does it have? You can SMS on three four five one nine, or you can WhatsApp zero six two one four eight two three seven four. And at the end of the show, we will see who got that answer right. Again, what is the longest parsha in the Torah? What's the longest chapter of Tehillim in the Torah? And how many verses do they each have? Three four five one nine being the SMS zero six two one four eight. Two three seven four being the WhatsApp. There is a very very interesting story which, uh, when I was learning about this um, these couple of verses, it jolted my memory because I think the very very first Jewish book that I ever put in to my hands actually described the story, and I will talk about it when I finish telling you the story. Um, but. You know, we, we speak about the fact that the non-Jewish world will come to recognize and come to understand Hashem's kindness because of all the things they plotted against us um, that we didn't even know about and that Hashem saved us from. So in the times of the Vilna Gaon, which is about 150 years ago, there was a, a, a young noble, nobleman. His name was Valentin Potok, Potoki. Okay, he was a young chap and he was heir to Count Potoki, um, who converted to Judaism and assumed the name of Abraham ben Abraham. Okay, Abraham, the son of Abraham. And this Count Potoki that converted the Catholic Church were infuriated by his conversion and they condemned him to be burnt at the stake. 
And as he was being led to his death, the executioner was a, a like he, 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 he was a man who thought about things and he was a little bit more intuitive. And the executioner realized that he was about to kill a holy man, that he was about to kill somebody who really stood for something moral and integrous. And he begged Avraham ben Avraham not to seek revenge against him in the afterlife. And the kindly convert, Avram ben Avram, calmed the executioner, and he told him the following. He said to him, when I was a little boy, I wandered from the palace, and I got lost in the woods. And a farmer took me into his home, and he treated me like his own son. And then one day, I made some soldiers out of clay, and the farmer's son was very jealous, and he smashed my precious soldiers. And that made me both sad and very angry. And he continued and he said, eventually I was found and I was returned to my, my palace. And a few days later on, the farmer and his son then realized who I was and, you know, that I'd been living with them. They didn't really understand that I was, you know, royalty. And so they came to the palace, trembling with fear, they came to see me. And the farmer begged me not to punish his son for breaking my soldiers. And Avram ben Avram continued and said, when I, and he said, so he said, and this is what I said to the farmer, when I was with you, I had nothing but those mud soldiers. And so their destruction grieved me. But in my palace, I have way more splendid toys and playthings than I can ever use. Now the loss of the coarse mud figurines means nothing to me. So don't worry. And I sent the farmer and his son on their way. And so now passionately the devout convert turned to his executioner. And he said, when I lived, my body, my flesh and my blood were precious to me, and certainly I would be bitter towards anyone who hurt me. But you know what? I'm now entering a new world, a spiritual palace of eternal bliss and of glory, and in that world my body will seem like those crude and clay and mud soldiers, and its pain and its destruction will be meaningless to me. How's that for a story? This is a guy who, who, who reached a perspective of what really is true, what really is meaningful both in this world and in the world to come. And he passed over an incredible message. So just wanted to tell you, I remember that as a child, my first Jewish book first, you must know 30 years ago, there weren't many Jewish books on the market. There wasn't, you know, the concept of Art Scroll and Hachai Publishing and Feldheim and all the wonderful, wonderful, um, publishing houses we have today and the decimation of so much Jewish knowledge in those days there wasn't a lot and I remember I think I, I think I even received it for my bat mitzvah 
Um, I'm going to check when I get home. But I have a book called Avraham Ben Avraham on my bookshelf, um, which actually recounts the story of this very, very devout convert. And the reason I'm telling you the story is because here you can almost see a non-Jewish perspective from a Jewish perspective, where um, Avraham Ben Avraham realized that at the end of times, it, it, it wasn't about the physical destruction and the pain that we 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 uh, we, we have suffered, because there's something far greater um, in the in the bigger picture. And so too, at the end of times, with the arrival of Mashiach, ki gavar aleinu chazdo, um, we will see the overwhelming kindness from Hashem, and all our pain, all our suffering, all our hardship will, in fact, you know, be put into perspective. And of course, it finishes with the words, Ve'emet Hashem le'olam, and the truth of Hashem um, is eternal. Because Hashem's promise to redeem us from exile is the truth which endures forever, right throughout the exile. And when Mashiach comes, we will, at last, at very last, find ourselves, Jew and non-Jew, in a world of absolute truth. And we will see that the truth that we've, we try to live with throughout our long exile and throughout, throughout our trials and tribulations, both as a people and as individuals, um, you know, even though it was very difficult to live with truth, we will see that the, the, the truth of Hashem is eternal, that that's what really persisted and landed up being till the end of time and we end with that the last words hallelujah that praises Hashem so that really wraps up the the two verses very succinct very uh, brief verses but that tell us about a beautiful world that we can live and we can expect and we can wait for and just an answer to the question thank you David um, who SMSed in the longest parsha of the Torah is the parsha of Nassau and the longest Tehillim is in fact chapter 119 and very interestingly and most profoundly both Chapter, uh, both chapter 119 of Tehillim and the Parsha of the Torah Nassau have 176 verses in them. Um, and one of the things that we've got to know, and we said this right at the beginning when we started learning Tehillim, that it says, he who says the entire book of Tehillim is considered as if he has learnt the entire book of the Torah, because in the words and verses of Tehillim is the entire Torah. And this is just happens to be one example where the book, the Parsha of Nassau is actually the same mirror image of the longest um, chapter of Tehillim. So well done, David. Thank you for giving the correct answer. I'm wishing everybody out there a Chodesh Tov. We have started um, the, 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 the month of Tammuz. Tonight and tomorrow is a very special time amongst Chabad Hasidim. It is the Yorzeit of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the present Rebbe of our day and age. And it is a time where we need to focus and appreciate the teachings of the Rebbe, the teachings and, um, and, um, 
ideas that the Rebbe gave for the entire world. The Rebbe said from the time that he was small, he envisioned a world of Mashiach. He in, envisioned this world that we spoke about um, in the Pasha. And the Rebbe spent his entire life spread, uh, spreading the word of Torah, um, sending emissaries to every corner of the world to ensure that people are educated and that people know about the truth, Jew and non-Jew. Um, and the Rebbe's very, very powerful message still resonates today that we need to create a world of goodness and of kindness, a world based on the truth of Torah and we need to bring to fruition um, the Rebbe's vision, the Rebbe's dream that he saw when he was just a little kid, that we need to be in a world of Mashiach. So the next 24 hours, Monday night and Tuesday, um, spare a moment, think about, learn about um, the teachings of the Rebbe. You could go on to Chabad.org. Um, Find something in your life and go do a random act of goodness and kindness. Take on another mitzvah. Make this world a better place because we are on the precipice. We're on the cusp of, of bringing Mashiach. And um, that's going to be a very beautiful world. Wishing you all a wonderful week.